0: guys, it's your girl Praise, and I quickly want to say, um, I quickly want to talk about faith and endurance, um, it's a message by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and first of all, I'll start with the scripture of Romans 12, verse 12, that talks about, um, we should rejoice in faith, patience, in troubles and tribulations, and in everything we should keep praying also in the book of 1st Thessalonians 5 16 it was talking about also paraphrase be joyful never stop praying be thankful in circumstances because this is the will of the father now if we look here carefully we'll acknowledge that God tells us that there'll be times of trouble There'll be times of uncertainty. There'll be times of impatience. There'll be times that will doubt. There'll be times that will falter in our faith and in our belief. But that's not the time where we should relent. That's not the time where we should be sad. We should start crying. We should switch to other other means of reaching out or find alternatives aside God that's the time where we should double up on our faith that's that where we should pray more invest more in prayer invest more in worship invest more particularly in the Word of God James 1 verse 2 to 4 says that when troubles come we should consider it a great joy for when our faith that is when our patience is tested our endurance has an opportunity to grow that means that when you are in trouble when you are financially unstable when your health crisis is becoming alarming when things are not going exactly how you have planned them to that's not the time to feel sad or dejected because that is actually our next course of action try to find an alternative to stay in our particular situation and be sad but the bible says in james 1 verse 3 that we should consider it a great joy. We should find it as an opportunity for our faith to grow because that's the time where we should invest more in our faith. Uh, that's the time to believe, oh, this is what God has promised in His Word. That I am just passing through a season, I am just passing through a particular time. Because the book of the book of Ecclesiastes was talking about um, the different times and the different seasons in life. Maybe that particular season is time for you to struggle. so time for you to go through all you need to go through to be able to come out tough, to be able to come out strong. Because for every setback, there is always a comeback. The real truth is that it's either you let your faith grow by feeding on God's word and in prayer. Or you let your sinful nature your impatience your lustful desire i want to make the money now i want to build my house by 25 i want to buy a bench before 30. i want to get that job by 21. when well, we let those desires of us those things that we have planned out for ourselves when we let them get into us they will overwhelm our hearts and then our faith will be dying down and then when things don't go according to plan we're we'll trying to find an alternative because james 1 verse 6 to 8 was talking about when your hope to receive from god when you hope to receive from god you must not have a double mind that means you must not have like an alternative you think you feel your loyalty to god must remain undivided god is telling us that we should cast all our problems all our fears everything that we worry about all our hard desires to him it gives us an opportunity to feed our faith. Our faith begins to grow because this is the promise of God that we shall be the, and be the head and not the tail because His promises are everlasting. So faith has an opportunity to grow when you're passing through trials. It's building up our faith. He's strengthening us because at the end of the day, when that thing comes, you'll be like, the weight was worth it. The patience level was worth it because First Peter 1, verse 6 and 7 talks about the joy that you will receive when you have endured many trials for a while because that trial you are going through is for a while. It's not for a long time. It's for a short period of time. It's not going to last forever. It also says that the trials, when you have passed through them, they are proofs that your faith is genuine. That means when you remain strong, there's a praise and glory attached to it meaning that at the end of all these trials at the end of waiting long to get what you want or passing through some certain situation either financially in your health in your academics in your business and whatever endeavor of your life when you are done passing through that season that period in time that that tribulation that trial you come out victorious you come out in glory you come out in praise because everything that gives god glory also gives you glory because when god takes his glory there's a share he gives unto you because just like jesus christ his son when god received the glory of his Death. Christ also received glory because he was the one that paid the price. So there's a glory awaiting for you. You just have to trust God and you just have to plug into it. I hope this has stirred up the faith of somebody today. I hope someone is inspired by whatever situation you're going through. It's a season. You're going to pass through it. Whatever it may be. Whatever is going through your mind presently. God is telling you that it's for a moment it's for a while it's not going to last forever and at the end of the day you have you come back you will see the victory you receive the glory and then you'll be thankful bye-bye everyone martin luther king once said injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere when I was 12 years of age, my father told me we needed to have detox. I didn't know what he meant. I expected it to be about poverty. This was a norm. When a child reaches puberty, their parents would sit them down and explain to them changes in their body and how to properly manage them. At the time, I had already begun to experience obvious changes in my body. My voice began to deepen. I had started growing taller and my testicles were getting bigger. I was very comfortable with these changes. To be more precise, I was proud of myself. I was gradually becoming a man. I accepted these changes until I started experiencing wet dreams, pimples, swelling breasts and other irritating changes. I soon began to hate myself. So when my dad brought up detox, I was more than happy to relay my experiences with him. I yearned for his counsel because the new developments were beginning to make me feel like an outsider in my own body. My father sat me down on a rainy Friday night just after he had eaten his dinner. His demeanor was unresolved. The most nervous I have ever seen him. This made me anxious. He began by asking me what I knew about racism. I wasn't sure where this conversation was going, but I immediately knew it had nothing to do with the obvious changes in my body. Disappointedly, I said no. He explained what racism was and how dangerous it was to live in a white man's land wearing a black skin. At the time, my parents, junior sister, and I were immigrants from Nigeria. My family won a lottery some years before, and ever since then, we have made America our home. My dad called it greener pastures because most of the opportunities that didn't open for him while he was just a salesman in a local shop behind our house in Elekba had created a big sales company for him in America. And because of the empire, my father was gradually building in the States. He forced the immigration for a permanent stay. This resulted in the birth of my junior sister. From the age of 12, I began learning the ways of the whites. I learned their manner of speech, dressing, and code of conduct. I learned to undress my culture so I can fit in because my father told me that the Ras life of a black man can be termed as gang in America, and that could put me in serious trouble. But he did warn me never to forget who I was and where I was coming from. I tried my absolute best to couple both without giving too much. This was extremely difficult. That night, my father told me about the thousands of black men and women who had been killed simply because they were black. Since the days of Martin Luther King Jr., the fight against white supremacy has been in existence it hurts me the survivor rules as a black man living in america one be polite and respectful when stopped by the police keep your mouth shut so remember the goal is to get home safely three don't Under any circumstance, get into an argument with the police. Four, keep your hands in plain sight and make sure the police can see them at all times. Five, avoid physical contact with the police. No sudden movements. Six, do not run, even if you are afraid of the police. Seven, even if you believe you are innocent, do not resist arrest. Eight, stay calm and remain in control. Watch your words, body language and emotion. I went to my room with a renewed wonder. My puberty was the least of my problems because it wasn't going to matter if I wasn't alive. The color of my skin had become a weapon, whether or not it was engaged. Our very existence was a problem to many people and there wasn't so much justice at the time. All things gradually began to make sense to me. Mrs. Baker's son, our neighbor, who was allegedly killed because she was holding out a hairbrush to a white kid. He was just 18. Mr. Simon, my father's former secretary, was killed while he struggled to get into his home. No questions were asked. For all we knew, he was murdered for break and entry into his own home. He was a 30 years old black man. Mrs. Adness, my science teacher, was shot right in front of her car due to a misunderstanding she had with a white supremacist policeman she was a 52 years old biracial woman with a pretty cat mrs margaret who was shot while holding a three-month-old baby in her hand all i knew back then was that these people were killed because they broke the law what is it about having a black skin color that makes people a threat to society? Are we any less of a human? Why the continuous spilling of African American blood? I was enraged. Five years down the line, a lot had changed about me. I became cautious of how I armored my skin so as not to present myself as a threat. If I was the problem, then I needed to stop being the solution. A black boy among white kids was the problem, and if any misunderstanding was to ensue, the black kid would be the one to bear the brunt. The logic was simple White kills black, self defense. Black kills white, murder. Black kills black, gang violence. White kills white, accident. Muslim kills white, terrorist. White kills Muslim mental health issues. Now that I was legal, now that I was a legal adult in the United States, my actions were to be carefully scrutinized by the justice system. I never told my parents, but I was freaking scared of being black. Very scared. The white supremacists watched me with cold blooded eyes as I played in my school park with my friends. I might be a kid, but because I was a black kid, I became an adult. Another beautiful day in the state of Alabama. My best friend David was throwing a birthday party in celebration of his 18th birthday. David Adebanjo, Nigerian and from a wealthy family. His father owned a big restaurant in the states. He was a spoiled kid, really spoiled. This was excused with the fact that he was an only child. My father and Mr. Debajo were friends. David's parents were throwing him a big party in an exotic hotel. The party lasted for three straight hours. I was exhausted. David offered to personally take me home once again. Another proper excuse to test run his new model Mercedes-Benz his father got him. I gladly, I gladly hopped in alongside a fellow white friend of ours, Alex. David was an experienced driver for his age. He often carried his father's collection of cars and cruised around the city. David was excited and in his turned-up mood, his stereo was blasting his favorite jam from his all-time favorite artist, Kendrick Lamar. He loved his music. He often times adopted Kendrick's dress style, which made him look like a gangster. David was slowly losing his culture. I often times warned him about his dressing. I told him about how the white supremacists viewed black men dressed like thugs. He will brush it off as me being old fashioned my best friend david wasn't like me he was free-spirited and mostly he wasn't afraid of his color if my color is seen as a weapon so be it i won't shiver or clutch simply because god painted me gold he would say i love this about him but i was so afraid for him after about 15 minutes drive david insisted we get another drink i was against this all i wanted was to go home i wasn't comfortable with the environment we were about to enter a lot of black men had been killed there i waited in the car while david and alex went into a small town shop to buy the drinks they were taking longer than expected so i alighted to go check in on them just as i was about to leave the car two white colored police men came over to my side i was scared <laughs> the fear of my own safety never have I been approached by a policeman i remained cool just like my father had taught me what are you doing here boy the first policeman asked he seemed nice my father taught me also to study their moods So as not to infuriate them, Kendrick Lamar's lyric resounding from the stereo was beginning to irritate them, but he spoke nothing but the truth. I am waiting for my friends, I responded. I placed my hands in a visible area as I turned down the volume, just like my dad instructed. Okay, do you own the car? another question this meant trouble no it belongs to my friend I was nervous the interrogation persisted for the next few seconds as David and Alex came out with a carton of beer I became more terrified David's face was fierce he isn't the type to be scared he was this was the very moment I feared the most How may I help you, officer? David questioned. Are you the owner of this vehicle? The second policeman asked. He wasn't as friendly as the first. Yes, any problem? David was being rude. I gave him a nudge to cool his uprising temper, but he was ready to weaponize his color and his voice. May we see your driver's license. We explained to the policemen that the car was new. He had no driver's license in it. They didn't believe us and demanded we tell them the truth or we were going to be arrested. I was comfortable with getting arrested. At least it didn't mean anyone was going to die. David became hysterical and uncooperative as the policemen tried to handcuff him. He knew his rights more than I did, and he wasn't going to bend them for anyone. The false policeman had begun to hold out his pistol. My heart was racing. I begged David to be cooperative, but he refused. You can't just arrest me. Do you know who my father is? You will lose your badges if you lay your hands on me. Alex was pushed to one side. The policemen didn't see him as a threat. They you stay behind me. You don't want to get injured. Like I said, we're always seen as the problem. Alex cooperated and remained mute. I guess he didn't understand the severity of what was going on. To him, this was just another police routine check. I, on the other hand, had been handcuffed and face down on the floor. The, full, the first policeman pressing his knee on my neck. I managed to keep shouting, David, just comply. We will settle this when we get to the station. But all fell to deaf ears. He kept insisting on calling his father. In a twinkle of an eye, I heard two gunshots and David's body dropped dead on the floor. His eyes met mine. His face was shocked, angered, in pain, scared. All emotions in one. I screamed and cried. David's crying eyes was telling me, was trying to tell me something I couldn't decode. He struggled to make me understand and still I didn't understand. I kept crying and before my next blink, David stopped moving. His eyes were still open but his spirit was gone. That image was going to haunt me for the rest of my life. It's a mobile phone, the policeman kept saying. They picked up david's iphone from the ground it wasn't a gun shit he added what david was killed because he tried bringing out his phone no questions asked two gunshots and a dead body that was all i remembered the worst nightmare had come to haunt me another fellow black man killed for exercising his rights. Another fellow black man killed for holding out his phone. Another fellow black man killed for driving an expensive car. Another fellow black man killed for playing loud music. Another black man killed for dressing as he pleased. Another fellow black man killed for just being black. If my color is seen as a weapon, so be it. I will never shiver or clutch because God painted me gold being nigeria didn't excuse our color or our race we're victims of white supremacy david died a black man and he bled red blood like every other maybe when they see his red blood they would realize we are equally humans maybe they would end the hatred and segregation of the colored maybe i wouldn't have to watch another fellow brother shot dead in cold blood i believed in this i didn't die that day because I followed the manual my father taught me years back. Many like me have been killed by following that same manual. I guess I was lucky. But as long as white supremacy still lives, my life will keep hanging on the tread. My father taught me to survive as a black man in America. But when will white parents begin to teach their kids how to grow up and not be hateful racists? i'm tired of sitting by the sidelines of keeping quiet about injustice i am so damn tired of seeing the names of my people among the dead i'm tired of counting their names in hundreds of thousands I am done chanting justice for and black lives matter. I am done being a prey. I am a black man and if my color is being seen as a weapon, so be it. I will not be reduced because God colored me gold. I will live out my race, my culture, and my rights. A decade has gone by since the death of David and a thousand others. Yet we are still being killed for our color and our race. What then? Is the justice injustice for? Hi guys, if you love my narration of my short piece I wrote during the Black Lives Matter protests, which I touted um, my first experience with racism, it is fiction, but is as real as they come. This is the experience of all black americans even black nigerians nigerians living in the diaspora this is the reality of the world right now white supremacist policemen and even non-policemen go about killing black men depriving them There is um the diversity in the world isn't equal there isn't equal diversity everything is white And we're hoping that there will be a change one day. And I wrote this story out of the inspiration of what happened to George Floyd and Brianna Taylor. I hope you love it. If you do, please drop some claps, subscribe, and share this video, share this audio with your friends. Thank you very much.